Today we're going to continue our study that we've been doing for, for several weeks on great men of the Bible. We've been looking at uh, some great men of the Bible. We're going to continue that. We spent uh, five weeks looking at the life of Abraham. Today we're in the fourth week uh, looking at the life of Moses. Next week will be the conclusion of Moses. And, and really as, we, as we're thinking about Moses, the, the, the pretty uh, tremendous thing, or really the awesome thing about Moses is that God called him a friend. And I really can't get over that. Uh, the Bible says that God talked to Moses. Here's this man. God talked to him as a friend. Uh, the, the, the Bible says that, that uh, Moses was a prophet, that there was none ever like him again after Moses. Can you imagine God saying that? After this man, there's never been a prophet like this man after him. Uh, and then we see, as we're going to see next week, that God himself actually buries Moses. Can you imagine that? God himself, the creator of the universe, actually buries Moses. And so what an awesome relationship that had to be. What a, what a close relationship that had to be. And, and I'll just tell you, what a great thing uh, that was said that he was a friend of God. Let me, let me ask a question. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't you like to be able to live in a way that it could be said of you, not that you were a great man. You know, somebody else say, well, well, they were a great man. Not that you were a great athlete at some time in the past. Not that you were a great businessman. Look how they took care of their business. Not even that you were a great servant of God. But can you imagine if it could be said of you, they were a friend of God. Well, I'll tell you, the thing about all of these men is they were just that. They were, they were just men, and they lived like us, and that's a hard thing to wrap our head around. Sometimes we've got them up here on a pedestal. You know, they lived like us. They were born like us. They ate like we do. They messed up, and we're going to see that today. They, they messed up in a lot of the ways that we mess up, and so, you know, in that, we see we have that same potential. We have that same possibility, and I'll just tell you, I hope when, I, when I'm gone, when I'm done, if Jesus hasn't come back, I hope that when the, when the hearse pulls out that somebody can say, you know what, he was a friend of God. Oh, if they would say he's a servant of God, that'd be great. But the most awesome thing is that there goes a friend of God. Well, today we're going to look at an interesting day in the life of Moses. Now, there was a day when God called him. There's the burning bush, a tremendous day. There's the days when Moses goes and he, he talks to Pharaoh and he, he speaks for God to Pharaoh. Uh, there's the day there at the Red Sea when the Egyptian army is crushed in as the sea goes and, and falls in on them. What a tremendous day that was. Uh, there are the days that he leads God's people, God's man leading God's people. There, there, there's a day that, that he goes up on the mountain and he comes down with the Ten Commandments. Uh, there are the days that he's at the tent of meeting, and the Bible says that it was there that God spoke to Moses, talked to him like a friend. Uh, there, there's a day that's recorded that he seeks God's encouragement. And remember the count, God places him in the cleft of the rock, and he, and he passes by, and he tells Moses, you're not even going to be able to see my face, not even to see the front of me, but as you see the backside of me, and as you behold the glory of God, uh, he is greatly, greatly encouraged. He has seen some awesome days. This man has seen some tremendous days. And then today, we're going to look at a day when he failed. Here's the truth. Be sure of this. People fail. 
Great people, great people fail. Well-intended people, people with, with good hearts, they fail. And I, I'll just tell you, I, as I read this account today, I believe it shows the integrity of the Bible to tell us also of these days. You know, if, if a man were writing a book, you know, we would, we would hide these days. We would sweep these days under the carpet. I believe it, it shows the integrity of God and of his word that he reveals to us even these days. And so today we're going to look at this day when Moses failed. Now, uh, as, we, as we get to this day, understand the context. Moses has to be tired. He has to be tired of what he's doing he really has to be tired of the spot that he's in. He has to be tired of these people that he's leading my lands. He's got to be the point that he's up to here with these folks. Uh, this that we find himself where he was at today is at the, the end of the 40 years of wandering. It's coming to the end of that. And Moses has been in a hard place. God's people see God's work. This is crazy. They see the Red Sea. They see these many, many miracles. They, they come out and they see the manna every day. God provides for them. They see the quail. They see these radical things. And just as quickly as they get in, some way they, they very quickly also get back out. And you read the account and over and over again, these folks complain they complain about the food. They complain about Moses. They complain about the, the, the trip that they're on. And they, they gripe all the time. And they take it out on Moses. And, and over and over again, we're going to see it today. They ask, why did you lead us here? They come to Moses. Wouldn't it have been better if we had died in Egypt? That would have been easier than this. Why did you lead us here? And worse than that, they actually rebel against God. Can you imagine standing as the Red Sea caves in and takes out the threat of the Egyptian army and not that many, many miles down the road, you find yourself rebelling against God. Do not care what God has said. And all through this, as Moses has led, he's had to stand in the gap. And when you read the account, he pled to the people on behalf of God, and on some days he pled to God on behalf of the people. And he, he's, he's really the, in this hard place where he's standing in the gap of, between God and his people. Well, at, at the end of these 40 years of traveling in the wilderness, uh, they find themselves in the place where we're going to read today in a land with no water. They find themselves in a place with no water. Now, I'm in Numbers chapter 20, beginning in the first verse. Now, listen as, as I move to the verses. Then the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, and this is a massive group. This isn't getting water for, for, for 100 people, hundreds of thousands of people. Then the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed at Kadesh. Now Miriam died there and was buried there. This is Moses' sister. This is the one that, that put him in the little basket and shoved him out into the Nile River. They find themselves in this desert, and his sister dies there. Verse 2. There was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. Now remember, Aaron is Moses' brother. He's the one that speaks. Moses said, I'm not a good speaker. And so he says, well, Aaron will speak for you. Well, they have no water, and the people assemble themselves against Moses and Aaron. Now, here's, here's the same old deal. For some reason, folks always take it out on the messenger. 
You ever notice that? They always, they always take it out and they get upset with the messenger. You know what? God had provided for these people. They, they'd never been without. He'd never left them out there to starve or to, to die of thirst. God had provided for them, but all of a sudden, without water, they turn against Moses and Aaron. Verse 3. The people thus contended, fought against with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Oh, that we had died back there. Why then have you, notice this, why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness? They're they're mad at God, but they're talking about Moses. For for us and our beasts to die here. Verse 5, why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us into this wretched place? There's not, a, there's not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. All the people turn on Moses. Why have you brought us here? Why have you led us here? Why didn't you just let us die back there? Now I want to stop right here for just a second. And I want to ask a question, and it's a question for then, and it's a question for now as well. And that is this, pretty important question. What would it take for you to trust God? What would it take? And I'm talking about us today. Here here we sit. What would it take for you to trust God? What if the Nile River turned to blood? Would you trust God? What, what, What if the Passover, you smear the blood over the door and all the firstborn of the land, they die. You hear them screeking and dying, but you're delivered because of the blood of this lamb. What, what if you saw that event and you came up and the sun came up and you're there and you're protected, you're delivered? Would you trust in God then? What if you got chased all the way to the Red Sea and you couldn't see an answer and you couldn't find any hope and God moved and he stood up the sea and you walked through on dry ground, you can't even imagine it. And when the army comes in, actually, literally, historically, the water caves in and it crushes out this army. Would you believe in God then? Oh, I think I can believe in him then. What if, what if God provided for you every day? Not a day does he not provide. There's manna. You know what? We're going into the weekend. There's manna enough for two days. I'm tired of manna. There's quail as well. He never let them down. He provided every day. Would you trust God then? What would it take to trust God? What if a Savior came for your sin? Would that be enough to trust him? What if a Savior took your sin and he went to the cross and he died your death? He took your sorry shame and he took it to the cross and they spit in his face and he died your death? What if he did that? Would that be enough to trust him? What if that same Savior walked out of the grave alive? Would it take more than a risen, resurrected Savior to trust God? What would it take to trust God? Well, here in our account, we see really they're mad at God, but they don't say that. Really, they're questioning God. Why did he bring us out here? But they take it out on the servant of God. They take it out on Moses. Verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly. They're all over them. To the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Moses and Aaron, they hear the complaint of the people. There's no water. They're getting ready to to die of thirst if something doesn't happen. They've heard the the cries of the people. And they come to the tent of meeting. It says they fall on their face. They come in humility. If there's going to be an answer, they don't have an answer. Moses can't find water. God's going to have to act. They seek God. They pray 
before God. They fall on their faces. Verse 7. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 8, Take the rod and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beast drink. Verse 8, God says, take your rod, go to this rock, assemble the people, speak to the rock before their eyes, before their eyes. Don't do it in private. Do it before their eyes. And, and God tells them once again, they're going to see a miracle. You know what? Evidently, the, the, the manna every day wasn't enough. You know what? Every day the Red, the, the Red Sea wasn't enough. The Nile turned to blood. That wasn't enough. But God, God in his grace says, you know what? They're going to see another miracle. Once again, they're going to see who God is. And God in his grace is going to show them that he is the Lord their God. He's going to show them. He doesn't leave them, nor does he forsake them. He's going to show them that he is the God that provides. He's going to show them that he's the God that's faithful. He started, he's going to finish. He's going to show them who he is again. Once again, he's going to show them they can trust him. Listen very carefully. God is going to move in such a way that they're going to know we can trust our God. Verse 9. So Moses took the rod from before the took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. Verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth for you water out of this rock? Now I want you to notice what just happened in verse 10. Moses is mad. Now, I don't, I don't blame him, but, but Moses is mad. Mo- Moses comes and he says, listen, you rebels. And here's what he says. Listen, you people that have turned against God. Listen, you people that have rejected our God. And he says this. See what he says. Shall we, here he is with his brother, shall we bring forth water out of this rock? He and Aaron. He is attributing this now to himself. He didn't speak to the rock and say, you know what, you're going to see that you can trust God. He says, shall we bring forth water out of this rock? Shall we do this? Verse 11. Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came forth abundantly and the congregation and, the congregation and their beasts drank. Now notice there in verse 11, God said to speak. But Moses takes the staff and he hits the rock twice. I, I believe he's indignant. I believe he's mad. He's upset with this situation. He's caught in the middle again. And, and I believe in his indignation. He takes that staff. God says, speak to the rock. Let them see the miracle. Let them see that they can trust me. But he takes the staff and he hits the rock. Verse 12. Water came out. They drank. Verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. God says, because you didn't do what I told you to do, because you did this publicly, because you didn't believe me, he says, you're not going to go to the promised land. 
He says, you and your brother will not enter into the promised land. Now, I want to show you some very practical things, some very important things that we can take from our account today. That's the account. Let me, let me show you some very needed, necessary, practical things that we can take out of our account. The first thing is this, and be sure and understand this. Partial obedience is not obedience. Partial obedience is not obedience. Now look what he did. He took the staff. God said, take the staff. He took it. He says, go to the stone. He went to the rock. He went to the stone. He says, bring the crowd, summon the crowd. He summoned the crowd. But listen, it was just part of it. It was just some of it. It wasn't all of it. Here's what we say. We say, you know what? what? I'll do this much. I'll go this far. You know what? This is better than nothing, isn't it? You know what? God's honored in me just doing this. You know what? I'm four steps in, not 10, but you know what? He's honored in the four steps, isn't he? We say, well, what's the difference? God understands. Doesn't he see my my heart and my, my willingness to be partially obedient? I want you to be sure of this. Partial obedience is not obedience. In fact, partial obedience is disobedience. Listen, we and, I, and to a men's lunch, this is a big, big thing. We have to get the idea today in our lives that it is either all in or you're not in. That it's either total commitment or it is no commitment. That it's either all or it is nothing. And it is either total obedience. If God says do this and do it like this and do it to this extent, we totally obey or we do not obey at all. We're either in or we're not in. Partial obedience is not obedience. The second thing we see is this. Your heart matters in obedience. Now, I know some people that they obey, but boy, they look foul when they do it. They, they obey, but they, didn't, they let you know they didn't like it when they did it. Or they let you know, man, look at me, I did do it. Your heart matters in your obedience. The Bible says over and over again that God knows our hearts. In fact, it says he's, he's concerned with our hearts. That's what he's really concerned about. The Bible says he measures by our hearts. He doesn't say, well, they did all the things. He's looking at the heart. He's measuring the heart. Understand, it is a measure of the heart. Where one minute before God, he falls on his face. Now we see Moses and he acts in anger and he acts in defiance and his heart is not right. You know what? Your heart matters in acts of obedience. Now, the, the next thing we're going to see, and it's a big, big thing, and we, need to, we really need to understand this. We need to see disobedience is very simply not trusting God. Disobedience is not trusting God. I'll, I'll make it easier than that. Disobedience is not believing God. If you want to go further than that, it's actually thinking God's a liar. God hasn't told the truth. Disobedience is not believing God. Now, we, we wonder and we ponder, uh, why, why do we disobey? Why, why do I disobey? Why do you disobey? And we, we could come up with all these half-baked things and say, you know what, you know what? I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know all that. Or it's, it's the environment that I grew up in. Or you don't know the parents that I had or, or where I came from. Or, well, you know what? I got in with the wrong crowd and they led me to do this thing. Or you know what, I, I was close enough. I took some pretty good steps. I was better this year than I was last year. And we start to try to really explain why we disobey. Let me tell you why you disobey. You disobey because you don't trust God. 
You disobey because you do not believe God. God comes in his word and he says, you know what? This is how you lead your home. You're the head of your home spiritually, and this is how you lead your home, and it's going to impact your wife, and it's going to impact your kids. And God says, this is how, right here, how you lead your home. And when you disobey it in any way, it's because you don't trust God. You know what? I don't know if that's true or not. You know what? I think I can pull it off on my own. You know what? I don't believe, God, that this is actually the best way. And you could go to any area. That's just one area. You know what? Here's a sin that you need to, to get rid of. Here's a sin you need to be done with that you need to cut out. And you say, you know what? I don't know that anybody sees this. I don't know that it's that big of a deal. I'm doing a whole lot better in these other areas. And you disobey God. You know what the problem is? You don't believe God that this actually is the best way to live. You do not trust God. Notice in verse 12, Says God says to Moses, because you have not believed me. Obedience is a matter of trust. It's a matter of believing God. And I'll just, I'll just say this. Do you believe God? Do you trust God? You know what? Your words really don't matter. Your big talk, our, my big talk really doesn't matter. There's really a better question. Do you obey God? Because failure to obey God is a failure to believe and trust God. The next thing we're going to see, we've got two more things. We're going to wrap it up. The next thing we see is this. Disobedience dishonors God. I, I think sometimes we've, we've got so far away from worrying about his name and his honor that we fail to see this. Disobedience dishonors God. In verse 12, it says this. You have not treated me as holy as different, as set aside. You have not treated me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Now, I want you to remember God's goal. His goal is that they would see him. His goal is that they would grow in their trust of him. His goal is that they would be reassured in him. You know what? We don't have any water, and God has provided the water. His goal is that they would look again to him. And Moses, in his act of disobedience, actually dishonors God. In the eyes of all the congregation, in the eyes of all the sons of Israel, he didn't treat God as holy. Some of y'all think that this isn't true, but I'm, I'm going to tell you this is a true story. People are watching you. People are watching you. And brother, let me tell you, especially if, you, if you've put up the name of Jesus Christ, if you've claimed the name of Jesus Christ, People are watching you, and they're watching to see if knowing God has actually changed you. They're watching to see if knowing God has actually impacted your life. They're, they're looking to see if knowing God has actually driven you to want to be obedient and to seek out his way and to be obedient in that. Or they're watching honestly to see if you're a fraud and if you're a hypocrite and if you're like the rest of the world, you say one thing, but you don't mean it and do the opposite thing. And they're looking to see if your life discredits God. And let me tell you the reason why they want to discredit God. They're looking for a reason not to believe. They're looking for a reason to say it's all, it's all a mess anyway. People are watching you. Disobedience dishonors God. And then I want you to see this last piece. We're going to wrap it up right here. The last, the last thing is this. Be sure of this. Disobedience always has consequences. Disobedience always has consequences 
consequences. There is always a price to pay for sin. There is always a price to pay for disobedience. Did you hear what I said? There is always a price to pay for disobedience. We, we sometimes think, well, you know what, that's gone unknown. No, nobody knows about that. I pulled it off. Sometimes we think, well, it's a sin. I know it's wrong, but there's no consequence to that. Nobody even knows about it. You know what? It's not that big of a deal. It didn't hurt anybody else. We think that it has no consequence. Listen, disobedience always has a consequence. Moses, this is, this is mind-blowing. Moses, who is the friend of God, Moses, who is the prophet, that they say there's not a prophet that comes along after him. Moses, who leads the people of God, who is sent by God himself, who speaks from God, will die and will not enter into the promised land. Do you see how crazy this is? From the burning bush, he will deliver his people. God's going to use this man to deliver his people. Moses, the friend of God, will die and be buried in the sand, and he will not go to the promised land. Aaron dies in the next chapter. We're going to read next week's study where Moses dies. Sin always has a consequence. Now, friend, I want you to listen to me very carefully. And maybe as, as carefully as you've ever listened to me in a men's lunch, I want you to hear this very clear. No sin of yours, no act of disobedience, not one, not one, no matter how small that you think that it is, not one sin of yours, not one act of disobedience will go unpunished. Are you listening? Not one act of disobedience that you've ever committed will go unpunished. Not one will not have a consequence. Be very sure today, each act of disobedience will be punished. And it'll either be punished by you and you'll take the wrath of God, you'll stand under the judgment of God, and you'll stand in your guilt, and you'll pay for your sin, or I want you to listen to me, in the grace of God, it has already been paid for by Jesus. In the grace of God, Jesus has taken your penalty, that's what the cross is about, he's taken your shame, he's taken your guilt, and he has already endured the wrath of God. And by faith in him, and him alone, you are pardoned. By faith in him, as guilty as you are, as guilty as I am, as sorry as I am, as guilty as I am, by faith in Jesus Christ, I go free. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the good news that we believe as followers of our Savior, Jesus. Let me tell you something today. Either you're going to pay for your sin or Jesus has already paid for it and you claim it by faith in Jesus. Listen, if you're here today, all people sin. Listen, if you're here today and you're standing in your sin and you haven't claimed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says you will pay your penalty. The wrath of God as the vengeance of God is trampled out will pour down on you the anger of God towards sin. You will take it and you will spend eternity in the reality of hell. Or you can look to Jesus. You can look to Jesus. He paid our penalty by faith in him, we have a pardon. By faith in him, we are saved. If you've never done that, listen, do that today. If you're not sure that, you wait after this and you settle it with me today. You find somebody else. There is pardon in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for our Savior. I'll ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer.
I wouldn't tell you I'm sorry, but I can't talk about Moses and not end up at Jesus. I'm not sorry. Let's pray. During Father, we come, and I'm thankful that there's a remedy for us. I'm thankful that when I see this guy that's, that's counted as a prophet, bar none, a friend of God, that there's still a consequence for sin, that it reminds me I have a consequence, I have a penalty. Oh, but it reminds me we have peace and forgiveness, restoration in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for us here today that we would be sick of our sin, sick of our disobedience, that we would turn to you, that we would walk in obedience, committing fully to our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray for some in this very room that haven't met you, that do not know you, that have not received the pardon and the grace of God through Jesus Christ. I pray that on this Thursday, we don't wait for a Sunday, but on this Thursday, they'd trust you, they'd cry out to you, that you'd forgive them, that you'd save them. Lord, work in their hearts. Lord, I pray for us here today as saved men, that we would go and we would carry this banner and we'd carry it higher. We'd go and we'd carry the good news to a world that's hurting and lost. That we would be obedient Instead of dishonoring you as I have done and as we have done, we would point and we would honor the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.